Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Jalen and Natalie Palmer. Uh, Jalen lives with CRPS and trigeminal neuralgia, or TN, and is also an advocate for these illnesses. So thank you for joining us. And Natalie is her mom. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you both here. So um, you guys, I know you just came from a checkup appointment with your neurologist, right? Yes. I was at UCLA's headache clinic. Wow. Okay. And this was like a new doctor that you were referred to as well, right? Yes. I had been to UCLA's neurosurgery clinic, and so they had just referred me to the headache clinic, which was a little different, but I got a lot of new information, so that was very helpful. All right. Well, we'll probably end up getting into that as we continue to chat. All right. Why don't we start from the beginning, though? Can you tell us when and how you were first diagnosed with these illnesses? Sure. So I was a very healthy, normal child. Um, And when I was in ninth grade, I had a surgery because, okay, so my mom has an underbite. She had an underbite uh, and crossbite growing up, and she had a surgery to fix that. Um, An under and crossbite is basically when your lower jaw grows out into the side. Mm. And it's a very common um, thing that people have. A lot of people have a surgery to fix it when they're done growing. With girls, that's usually somewhere between 15 and 18. With boys, it's usually older, somewhere in their 20s. Mm. And so I stopped growing when I was 15. They x-rayed my hand. They saw that all of my bones were fused. And so they went ahead and did the surgery surgery over the Christmas break um, during my freshman year. Mm. And so... Freshman year of college? Of high school. High school. I'm okay. sorry. Dur- okay. Yeah, during my freshman year of high school. Don't worry. I'm here to, I'm here to fill those in blanks in. <laughs> yeah, and to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so they told me it'd be a two-week recovery, and I'd be right back to high school, no problem. Uh, that was certainly not the case. Mm. Um, I had that surgery, and I was in horrible, horrifying pain afterward. And we kept going back to the doctor, and he said, you'll be fine. Um, You know, some people just have a little more pain than others, and, you know, you're just going to heal right up, and everything will be okay. And we trusted this doctor. He was the only surgeon in my area in the Inland Empire in California. He was very well 
well-respected. Um, and so we trusted him. Yeah, of course. And it turned out we should not have. This is always the first lesson in chronic illness 101, isn't it? Like some doctors are not your doctors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, over the next year, we continued to see this, um, uh, the surgeon and we kept going back for checkups and he kept saying everything is going to be okay. He kept uh, checking in, he kept prescribing more medication. And after the year was up and during this year, I could not go back to high school. I had to finish, um, the last half of my freshman year of high school online. And then that summer, the the school district said, you either come back to school or you're truant. Like, we kick you out. Like, there's nothing you can do. That's accommodating of them. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because they didn't offer any sort of homeschooling because I didn't have cancer or anything like that. I didn't have a disease they knew how to deal with. I was just in pain from a surgery, and that wasn't something that the school district knew how to deal with. Wow. And so they said, come back to school or you're truant. And wow. so... My mom figured out a way to help me through it, and she figured out how to help me take the California High School Proficiency Exam. Okay. And so that's a way to get your diploma, not your GED, from the state of California. Okay. And so I was a child actor, mm -hmm. and so my mom, with the help of an acting friend, enrolled me in our acting friend's quote-unquote homeschool. Mm -hmm. So I was a sophomore in high school, because you have to be a sophomore in high school to take this exam. So I was enrolled in this uh, in this quote-unquote um uh, homeschool like, yeah like a so, sort of off charter school kind of, yeah, yeah a charter yeah. school so i was then a sophomore mm. and i studied for this test uh for months i got a tutor and i studied because this test goes way higher than a ged test in math and okay. english and so, so you're able to use this diploma then obviously to go to college and everything. right, right. yes okay. it's it's equivalent to a high school diploma got it it got just it. instead of it says um instead of saying from a certain high school it just says from the state of california okay so i went and i took this test um, and it's amazing that you were able to figure this out, Natalie, like to make I, it work. I, if, if I'm not a researcher, I'm not anything. That is one thing I do is figure stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and especially when your daughter's concerned, it sounds like you're protective yeah. mama bear. So you definitely jumped in there and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So you took this exam and I passed. Fantastic. And my, uh, like I said, my mom has always been someone who, whatever I need to do or want to do, she always figures out how to help me. So she figured that out. I passed that exam. I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and started at my local community college where I could take classes for two hour chunks at a time. So that way I could go to school, come home and rest. Mm -hmm. Um, which was much more convenient for my pain. In the sense that, like, your pain was fatiguing you, but also to manage the pain in sort of in, in bursts? Yeah, and also if I was in, in a classroom and... I was in so much pain that I was, for example, going to throw up. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, like when I was in high school, raise the hand, be like, excuse me, can I leave the room? And, uh, you know, in college, you just go, obviously. Yeah. And so I could just run out of the room, go to the bathroom, do whatever I needed to do, throw up, take a pain pill, you know, but collect this was myself. But is that you were yeah. being sick from this pain. Yeah. I was just in horrible, horrifying pain. Yeah. And, and it was mostly like jaw and head as well? Yeah. It's so so it's my jaw and face. Mm. And so during this year, we kept going back to the surgeon. And after a year, he finally res uh, 
he finally referred me to a pain specialist. And I just want to say something. It's like if you have a toothache. You know how you have a toothache and yeah. it is the most annoying thing in the world? I think every it's time one of the worst I pains. get a toothache, I think she lives with this every day, every yeah. year, the next day, the next day, the next day. But it's all over, like all your teeth. I just, yeah. I can't imagine yeah, I mean, living it's like that. If you say that, and I think to myself, like, look, I haven't given birth, so I don't know what that kind of pain is like. But. You know, I talk to my mom about varying levels of pain that she's gone through and and things that I've been through. And I honestly think that a toothache is one of the worst pains in the world. Yeah. And when it's really severe, like say it's an impacted tooth or something like that. So it's amazing that like, I mean, Jalen's sitting here with her mom and she's like, you're like, no problem. (laughs) Like life's peachy, but like it hasn't been easy to get here either. No, I think at some level you just start to almost be robotic about explaining it because that's her life yeah. and she has to and um, give those details so often to doctors and it's just rattling it off at this point yeah and it's not is it traumatic for you to relive all of this stuff over and over again when you're meeting new doctors I think at the beginning it was yeah. I think at the beginning there is a lot of tears and there was a lot of internal pain that came with telling it but I think over time um I've had so many doctors and so many people in general ask me about it. And I think there's so much power in sharing your story and creating awareness about it that I, at some point I had to create an emotional distance from it where I could tell the story without creating the emotional attachment to it every time. And Which is another lesson in chronic illness. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> and it was helpful and being able to tell people your story and being able to tell them what you've been through and explain to them what it's like, I think helps raise awareness for it. And so I can't, you know, break down crying every single time, not only because it'd be too much emotionally and for the other person, but also because it causes more pain for me if I'm crying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds like you found a way to work through it emotionally that you've turned it from something negative into something positive. Like you turned it into the awareness raising and the work that you're doing, which of course we'll get into. So where I sort of stopped you was you were telling us that you, mm-hmm. he referred me to a pain specialist. Right. Okay. And, and so I, how old were you? Like how many years post-surgery was this? At this so point? I'm 16. I'm 16. So, okay. um, it's about a year po- uh, post-surgery. Right. So, um, and from the surgery, like my face is still like kind of weirdly swollen. Um, like they tell you a year after the swelling goes down, my face still was kind of weird looking. Like it, the swelling never really went down all the way. Uh, Which the doctor just said, "Well, you're overweight, aren't you?" <gasps> and I know I, that was so rude. Well, this is the most shocking thing because I feel like it's only women who are on the receiving end of comments like that. Yeah, from medical professionals. Yeah. And I was not overweight before the surgery. I'd like to point you're out. You're not overweight, period. Like, <laughs> but within a five-year span, I gained 100 pounds after the surgery. Of course, because how could you exercise and be mobile and be like a young, active person? Yeah, because I was in so much pain. pain and I was on, they put me on so much medication that slowed down my metabolism. But before the surgery, like, and especially right after that surgery where my jaw was wired shut for, a, you know, a week, I was not overweight at that time also. So, like, that was just rude to begin with because it yeah. wasn't true. Like, it was just... It's so presumptuous. Yeah. And it's also a presumption that anyone who's a certain weight is unhealthy as if it's not just yeah. the normal body's state. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, She's 16 years old, right? And yeah. How my, do you say that to a 16-year-old and not, not give them any I'm disorder? a 16-year-old, yeah. 5'8". Like, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm just a tall kid, you know? Yeah. Like, so it was just ridiculous to begin with. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so I got uh, referred to this pain specialist and a few years with them, I'm diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease that means my nerves attack themselves. Mm. So basically my nerves don't recognize that my bones healed. So my nerves every day fire off as if all of the bones that they cut during that surgery, they made eight cuts during that surgery and they screwed them all back together. They all still fire off as if all of those bones are still broken. So they never fully heal from that. Right, right. So this is why you deal with pain in your face and jaw from the surgery. And when you say it's an autoimmune disease, does this mean that the surgery itself or possibly the medications that you took afterward triggered this autoimmune condition that like you were had a predisposition to it genetically somehow? Women in general are more likely to uh, have an autoimmune disease in general, mm-hmm. and traumatic events trigger autoimmune diseases. And any number of traumatic events had unfolded since this surgery. Yes. And there is no cure, and there is not enough research for autoimmune diseases. There are 50 million people in the U.S. with autoimmune diseases. That's more people than with cancer and heart disease combined. Yeah. Yet there is uh, virtually zero research being done and zero money being put towards this. Do you think it's because it's a female-centered, you know, because it's like 70% of people with autoimmune diseases are women? Do you think that's the reason that the research is underfunded? I think that uh, that uh, is a big reason why. And I think uh, it's a big reason why uh, most people who are diagnosed, most women who are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases, they're first told to go to psychiatric care. And it takes them a long time to get diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. (laughs) I was very lucky at the time. I was a very specific case. I was young. I was white. I was, I had a mom who was, uh, you know, very ferocious about my care and was going to make sure that no one was gonna you know shove me under the rug i love it because your mom's sitting here like super calm but like i can imagine you would like eat them for breakfast if they messed with your daughter (laughs) well i i've said to doctors before you know we're here for your health she's not a pain seeker you know yeah she and i i I often go over you know she graduated from college magna cum laude she wanted to go to law school she's not the the girl you see sitting here with no makeup on in her sweats is not some pain seeker here Mm -hmm. to be shoved under the rug this is what if this was your daughter what if this was your granddaughter you know we we're here for help and oftentimes we we fall into tears and Mm -hmm. like it or not that helps men uh soften towards you but sometimes Mm -hmm. we stay strong and and i i've learned to just um ask very many questions and just keep going and keep pushing them until something's done and not just say okay do you think that's because of your journalism background too Maybe. Yeah. yeah ask like a lot of questions. Keep yeah. pushing and pushing. Yeah, yeah, that every question begets another question. So for everyone sure. needs a mom who's been in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I think the mom instincts kick in no matter who you are. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously, you two have remained very close and you've advocated for Jalen from the very beginning, it sounds like. Yeah, the, it, it, I, I've had to do that. And I've even surprised myself because I feel like I'm not. I'm not a conflict person. I'm not that person who's like, I want to speak to the manager. Mm. You know, I'm just not that person. But in doctor's appointments and stuff, I don't have any problem being that person because I want her to feel better. And I and it's just trying to keep a positive attitude through all these years that this next thing is going to help. This next thing is going to, like today we went to this pain clinic and saw this doctor we've been waiting for six months to see. We learned something. It wasn't a cure-all, but 
we keep thinking the next thing's just right around the corner. Right. And you have to keep pushing for that. We're way outside of the boundaries of our insurance, but mm. we just ask and we follow up and she's on My the mom phone always and- says the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. isn't that the thing? I think one of the, the lessons that another lesson that we learn in the world of chronic and invisible illness, especially, and especially when you're female, um, is to have to push for more, right? And it's mm-hmm. like knowing that you, you have to make the follow-up calls. They're not going to follow up with you. Knowing that like you have to ask for the cancellation appointment so that you can get in sooner. You have to ask for the additional um, insurance coverage or, you know, I've, I don't know about you, but I've have, have to do, I've had to do the thing where I've had to threaten my insurance company before because sometimes they just take too long to approve certain things. But mm-hmm. it's always about continuing to follow up and knowing you're in the right because you deserve health care. It's a full-time job. Absolutely. It's some, yeah. some I always it's a say job. I could have a 40 hour a week assistant just to like make refills and call doctor's offices and like call insurances, uh, insurance offices. Like it's, uh, I, it's impossible to do all of it and have a chronic illness. And imagine if you're someone who doesn't have a support system. You yeah. Know, like this is where it's like the importance of the support system is so clear, isn't it? That like if you were a patient who didn't have this kind of help, and you didn't know where to reach out, you'd be stuck, wouldn't you? Like, you'd almost become a hermit. It's also important, too, to learn it as you go, though, because once they turn 18, Mm. some offices won't speak to me anymore. Being a girl, I can say I'm her sometimes. But I also have three other kids. I have 20-year-old twin boys, Mm. and I've been needing to make some appointments for them. I obviously can't say I'm them. And so it's frustrating as they get older that you can't, you can't help. Yeah. So it's it's good that they learn it for anyone, you know, younger with parents with younger kids. You also have to teach them the process because at 18, they're not going to tell you when the appointment is or mm. get the refill. Because when I was younger at the beginning, I, in doctor's appointments, for some reason, I'm a very loud, outspoken person. I always have been. But in doctor's appointments, for some reason, I would just close up and I would talk very quietly. And I would, it was something about the vulnerable state of talking about my health and my pain and like crying all the time like even before your diagnosis no it was after the diagnosis it was was, like a white coat syndrome that set in almost i forgot about that that's right i always go what why are you acting like that because it's not even your personality yeah i I would just get very quiet and i would talk very quiet and i would just like i would like uh, my shoulders would uh, like close in and i would just and it's so unlike me and my mom would be like what are you doing tell Mm -hmm. them and my mom had to teach me as i got older how to do things and how to talk to people so that when I was 18 I could completely take over and uh, care for myself and advocate for myself in my own appointments and you know now I'm 24 years old and I can do all those things for myself but I'm still so grateful for her because you know even the other day we got a bill for the ER for like $3,000 and it was because our health care like our number changed like my health care group number changed and like did they tell you about that that's that's great and and like I I didn't have to handle it at all. My mom just completely figured that out, and I just kept making like my other. I called them. They said we only bill once. It's it's your you know your it's responsibility. your responsibility now. And I said, well, if you'd like it to get paid, I I um, encourage you to bill twice. Mm. And they did, and it's all taken care of. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just learning those ways to be just aggressive enough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where were we in the story? You at this point were taking college classes. Yeah. So I. Uh, so I've been di- diagnosed with CRPS, yes. and I'm I'm living. And at one point during this time, my parents eventually say, um, "We figure out that 
we uh, that original doctor screwed up during my surgery we mm. have seen a uh, we have seen orthodontists neurologists we've seen every specialist you can see mm. and we basically figure out that we have to do the original surgery all over again now was it one particular doctor who mentioned to you that something might have been off it was how i remember it if it was it was sort of a collective it was a collective realization of a lot of things and just realizing that uh, he damaged nerves that shouldn't have been damaged. And was it like something that was like malpractice territory as well? Yeah, but yeah. we were too late on that. But that was the thing. He waited a year to uh, to refer us to a pain specialist. And it turns out a year is the malpractice uh, statute of limitations to file. file. I think how we found out that something may have been wrong is he said, no, nobody, nobody has pain from this. And I think we got to a neurologist and they said, we have people in here all the time that had that surgery, that something goes wrong. That's very common. And do their doctors also wait the year out as well? I don't know. But the thing is, he's the only doctor in our area. He priced out everyone else. He's the only doctor in our area. So he said he has people in here all the time. and, And we were like, well, he's the only doctor in our area so they're all coming from him and so we were like we we need to sue him because like if he's doing this and not telling people that's not fair and then we saw a lawyer and he said he waited the statute until the statute of limitations was up you can't sue him so he clearly doesn't even care about the fact that his patients are in pain no No, he doesn't doesn't care care at all isn't that disgusting this is and this is a failing of the medical system absolutely yeah Yeah. that you can price out another doctor and so you live in a small area and it's the only one who does the surgery you don't even have a choice between two doctors to do a surgery a major surgery where they rip your face apart and nail it back together it's pretty scary wow and he's still practicing yeah oh yeah (gasps) Oh, boy. And there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, you know, if we go on and, like, leave reviews online, we just sound like crazy people. I mean, like, you well, know, bad mouthing. Are you one of many people doing that, though? Or? Uh, I mean, he, there's been a lot of, uh, like, things that go on that is just, like, it's just we sound like crazy people if we do it. Well, and, and it's also, I suppose, it's more traumatic for you to hold on to that and not be taking care of what you're dealing with now. Right? Yeah. Like, if you're focused more on, like, a thing that happened that you can't change yeah. than on correcting what's going to happen yeah. in the future, then, you know, where would that put you mentally as well? Yeah. We're definitely always moving forward. Yeah. But basically, I was going to college, and the last semester before I had to have this surgery over again, I... I had been sleeping in a reclining chair for about two years because I can't lay flat down. The pressure on my face is too much. So I sleep downstairs in a reclining chair. Like, so I have no private space basically anymore because I have to sleep downstairs. And the semester before I have the surgery again, I can't, all I can do is eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. I have to take the semester off school because that's literally all I can do. And I'm a one in a million case like three times over because they... They x-rayed my hand before the first surgery to make sure my bones were fused. Somehow, I still grew a half inch after that surgery. Wow. And my jaw took on a rare growth pattern that less than 1% of the world's population has. It grows down and out. So it's like pulling on muscles and fracturing bones mm-hmm. like as it's growing. And so my orthodontist, how he figured this out is he took every x-ray over these five years and just put them next to each other and he sees the growth pattern. But he made the effort to do that. Yeah, I have an amazing orthodontist in in my area that's a really great guy. Mm -hmm. And he figured it out. And then they also thought at the time that I must be allergic to the titanium, which so few people are allergic to, that they use to screw all of my jaw back together. So this time we went to UCLA and we had the head of the maxillofacial department, uh, maxillofacial 
facial surgery department do the surgery. Mm. And this time, since they used no screws or any metal to screw my jaw back together, my jaw had to be wired shut for six weeks, which was horrible. Yeah. At this point... Especially for someone who's, like, really verbal, too. Yes. Like, that's six weeks of not really being able to talk and that's communicate. That's old school. Yeah. yeah. That's what I had, too, in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, also, wow. you know what was really horrible about it? I just about had my um, associate's degree in American Sign Language, but no one else in my household uh-huh. knew American Sign Language. <laughs> so I could sign, but I had no one to sign to, wow. also. So my jaw was wired shut, and I was like, if someone else just knew how sign language, I could still communicate. That's but so no one knows sign language. That's very interesting that you ended up getting a degree in signing. Like, (laughs) yeah, because it's another form of communication and people who live with another invisible condition, right? Like, so you're really providing support for those people, but like you needed that support at that time when your mouth was wired shut. But the worst part is starving. Yeah. Not not being able to communicate. Starving. Yeah. So I had a blog at that time. Um, At one point, it was called jawsurgerypain.com. It's not live anymore, but at one point it was pretty popular in the facial pain community. Community. And I was blogging all the time about this. And we have a picture of my whiteboard at one time. And it says, I would seriously injure someone for a slice of pizza right now. <laughs> and at one point, we started blending slices of pizza. And I would just stick it through the back hole, like where oh my, my wisdom God. teeth used to be. And at one point, I broke a piece of the plastic that was holding my jaw together right. And to this day, my jaw doesn't completely shut on one side because of that broken plastic. Because that one sh- trying- bit of pizza, <laughs> Yeah, right? oh. because I'm just, you're so hungry. People think, yeah. it, well, you can just have milkshakes. But it's not just like your teeth are wired together. There's big pieces of plastic plastic yeah and keeping the teeth and then they're wired so it's not like you can suck anything through just liquid Do you, there's like a, a diet you use insure but you get so sick of insure and uh. there's a long syringe that you feed through the very back hole like where your wisdom teeth used to be and so like it's a syringe but what happened to me is at one point you, all your medication is liquid mm. and so at one point i was getting so much medication and not enough insure that like my stomach was burning up too yeah. and so like like it was hurting my stomach to eat anything with the medication. And the best part was that my antidepressant at the time, um, it was like little balls inside the pill. And so we couldn't break it to put it in my thing, to put it in my syringe, to right. inject it. And it wasn't all liquid. Yeah. And so it just kept sticking. The balls just kept sticking inside the syringe. So cold turkey after my surgery, oh. I had to quit my depressant and I depressant as well because we just couldn't get it in a liquid form to get it down me. And also no wonder you needed mm-hmm. an yeah. at this point too. And also, can I just say, if I... To, I'm glad I had the second surgery, but if I knew how bad that second surgery was going to hurt, I probably I wouldn't have done it. That second really? surgery hurt so badly. I was in their hospital for a week and a half after that wow. second surgery. It was the most painful thing ever. I had a morphine drip that entire time I was there. Like it was the most painful thing I have ever felt in my life, and I I don't think I can describe to anyone how painful it. I, I I've never given birth. But it had to be more painful than, than that. And shout out to UCLA. They were great. That's Amazing. a great hospital. Yeah. They they care about pain. Yeah. We've been patients. to a lot of hospitals. And there they ask you what your pain level is. And they treat pain. I've never mm. seen anything like it since or before. Yeah. After my first surgery, actually, this is something we talked to the, the surgery center about after. My jaw was uh, wired shut. And after the first surgery, the lady came over and asked, how are you doing? And I couldn't speak, obviously, because my jaw was bandaged shut after the first surgery and she was like honey you're coming out of uh, the anesthesia you need to talk now Aww. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. and she was like, you need to start speaking now, honey. Oh, come on. And then another nurse came over and nudged her and said, look at her chart. Her, her jaw's bandaged shut. Oh, and God. like, and I was just like sobbing because I was in pain. I couldn't talk. And I want, I was trying to say like, I wanted my mom. And like, cause yeah. I was at that, at that time I was 15, you know, yeah. I just had my Joshua and like so that was just like I had a horrific experience with the first time so the second time I was in so much pain but at least I had a good hospital and it sounds like you haven't come up against or perhaps you have and we haven't gotten into it yet but have you come up against any roadblocks with opioids as well well we'll get there but but yeah so after the second surgery I was uh, I was able to function better so I had the titanium out my jaw was put back into the right place I immediately got my degree in American Sign Language I transferred to um, California State University Northridge um, and there I actually got this once in a lifetime fellowship where I moved to DC and I worked for Congress and it was incredible. And when I got back from DC, I weaned myself off as much of the opioids as I could in order to still function because I was so driven after I've been to DC, I was like, I'm going to make this work. Like I'm going to do this. And so I, I was so driven. Mm-hmm. And while I was in college, even though I was in pain every single day, I was head delegate of the Model United Nations team. I was chief policy advisor to the president of our student government. Mm-hmm. I was an officer in my sorority. I did a fellowship with a nonprofit. I graduated magna cum laude. I was the student speaker when I graduated. Like, I was, like, the definition of a go-getter. Yeah. Like, and I, it's always us. It's always us type A. Like overachievers, it's unbelievable to me. It's always those of us who really give a damn. That is who end so not up. fair. It's so not fair. But it's, it's almost like you guys would take over the world, and there's some force of nature that's like, no, no, no. Let's yeah. keep this top level group of people back just a little bit because you're going to take over. Well, we've already got you know the the odds stacked against us being female. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, it's like just adding another thing onto the pile, isn't it? So right. it's just amazing to me that like you know, you were able to get through all that. But you're mentioning that you're weaning yourself off the opioids. Is that because you felt that they were actually hindering your functionality? Yeah. So at that time, it was just, uh, I just felt like I... I couldn't do everything I wanted to do. I was just so tired all the time. And in classes, I was falling asleep too much. And I had already explained to my professors, thankfully, my university was really great about working with me with my disabilities and everything. And their EOPS office is great. They're great about working with disabilities. Um, that's something that you could point out to anybody that's listening that doesn't know that if you get on the in the disabilities office at your university if you miss a test because you just can't get there you have a right to take it over or more they kept asking does she need more time she didn't need more time no she needed needed more days yeah 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 that's interesting because i've I've talked to a lot of people who've been through university with chronic illnesses and some of them have had like no support but i wonder if it's also a difference between like you're going to like cal state northridge if there's a difference between going to like a state university like that that maybe is more funded by the the state government than Mm. a private university because a lot of people i've spoken to have said they don't receive support really you know what i have found more than anything is it's about talking to your professors and i found when i walk up the first day of class and be like hey i just want to let you know i have a, um, a disability i have trigeminal neuralgia i might end up in the emergency room at some point during this uh, semester but i just want to let you know up front i'm registered with the disability office there might be some things i need to work through with you and 
every professor has always been like, okay, great, thanks for letting me know. And as soon as I have a problem, I email them. And I rarely had to even involve the disability office Mm. just because if I let them know up front and email them as soon as there is a problem, the professors have always been pretty good about working with me. This is that lesson in self-advocacy, isn't it? Yeah. She's a great communicator. She'll go in during business hours, whatever she needs to do. She's always, she's been that way her whole life. And Mm. it's, thank goodness, she learned how to do that. Well, from you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So at this point, you're mentioning the TN. Had you been diagnosed with the trigeminal neuropathy? At this point, I've only been diagnosed with CRPS. That's the only diagnosis I've ever been able to get because out in the Inland Empire, I'm going to be honest, it kind of sucks out there. Like, I've been trying to get um, referrals out into LA as much as possible. Everyone just sort of shrugs their shoulders at me and just says, like, wow, I just don't know what's wrong with you. Like, good luck out there, kid. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll uh, I'll figure it out on my own. And so I graduate college and all of that, like, overachieving, like, doing everything I could has drained me. Mm-hmm. I move home and, like, I am so sick. And it's been a, a little over a year now since I've graduated college. And I have just been so sick, so tired, I have barely been able to get out of bed most days. I have just been more exhausted than I can put into words. The pain has been so much. Yeah. Like, And we should also put this pain in perspective for our listeners, too, because CRPS and trigeminal neuralgia are known to be some of the most painful illnesses known to man. Yeah, they're I'm both nickni- nicknamed the suicide disease yeah. um, because 25% of the people who have both of these diseases um, end up committing suicide. Yeah. And on the McGill pain scale, which is a highly and widely respected pain uh, pain scale in the medical field, they are both ranked above um, both planned and unplanned childbirth. Unbelievable. Man, so when you do decide to have children, it'll be no problem. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, at one point in college, I went to um, the emergency room for pain and um, for facial pain, and I needed help. And th- I was also sort of holding my side. And they did a, they did an ultrasound, and they were like, "Yeah, you have gallstones. Can't you feel that?" And the, I needed my gallbladder out, and I was like. No, that's not really, I can't really even feel that. That's not concerned to me. Like, I have facial pain. Yeah. And, like, I couldn't feel gallstones. Like, wow. that my gallbladder was about she to burst. She had to have her gallbladder out. I had to have my and gallbladder out. And me, by comparison, out. called 911. I thought I was dying when I had my gallbladder yeah. out. And she's like, oh, no, I didn't even feel it. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I'd have a surgery to have my gallbladder uh, out, like, uh, uh, like from the ER. And I didn't even notice because my facial pain was so bad. Wow. It's just, I mean, it's unreal, like, what you have become. You've become this, like, Amazonian, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. But, you know, and yet there are still some times in my bed, uh, some days where I'm like, am I making this up? Like, is this in my head? Like, am I a crazy person? Is that like, because people have told you that? It's just some days I'm just like, uh, you know, like, am I, I don't know. I just feel like some days that... You can't believe this is your life, maybe? Yeah, and I'm just feeling like maybe I am just being lazy or, like, I could just, like, get up and live my life, you know? Mm -hmm. I just, I feel like I sit there and I live my life like this and I just wonder, you know, if, like, this is just something that's become me. And then some days I have, like, these horrible pain feelings or I forget to take my meds one morning and then, you know, two hours into the day I'm, like, hunched over in pain and I'm like, nope, it's real, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, those reminders are certainly something, but it's 
it's frustrating listening to that, not even being your mother. Like I've, I've just met you, you know, it's frustrating for me to hear that and to think that like you would not even believe yourself sometimes that like the position that, that people who have illnesses like this, that you, you don't look in the mirror and see it, you know, the position that you have to put yourself in, but you're sort of put there socially, aren't you? Because no one else can see it. So if they can't justify it, how can you? Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And now through December 3rd, Ember Labs is offering listeners of Uninvisible Pod $60 off. Go to emberwave.com slash invisible. That's E-M-B-R wave.com slash invisible and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. We had a really striking experience like this. Um, so many doctors had seen her. So this one, one doctor said, I know this special dentist and he, he can come see you. He has his own plane. So he would love to practice. So we call him. Oh yeah, I'd love to practice fly my pl- plane. He, pl- he, he flies in to where we I'm are. I'm already concerned about him having a plane. Yeah, he has a plane. <laughs> so he flies in. We go to see him. He actually looks at me and says, Mom, you are the problem. She is getting so much attention from you from doing this. It, this is your problem. And you need, to, you need to tell her she's okay. You're allowing this to happen. I oh, burst into disgusting. tears. I went out into the parking lot. She was still in the chair. He followed me out there <gasps> and still told me that it was my fault. I'm just, you know, crying and also, sobbing, falling apart. Also, man. He's not a psychologist. Yeah, and this is at the beginning. And I wish that I would have known now, you know, now what I knew now. No, well, then, then what then I knew now. now. But yes. if you were in that position again, I don't think you'd have nearly the same reaction. You know, no, you not like, the bursting up. into tears anymore. Yeah. I'm past tears now. I'm at the mad stage. Yeah. I would be mad. And we kind of get more done when we're mad, don't we? Yes. Yeah, true. If you turn it into something that you're using action. positive energy for. Yeah, yeah. Turn yeah. It into action. absolutely. Yeah. But at the beginning of this year, I was just sort of like, I was a little mad. And I was like, you know what? It's been five years since I've had a new set of doctors take a look at me to see what new procedures or new treatments there are. I'm going to do it all over again. Mm. So I went to a new neurologist and he's taking a look at me, typing up some notes. And he was like, okay, so you have trigeminal neuralgia along with a CRPS. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like <laughs> leaning forward, like stretching out an ear, like say that now. Yeah. Like, uh, could you say that again? And he was like, well, you have trigeminal neuralgia, obviously. And I'm like, obviously. Mm. And he, he was like, you're a pretty textbook case. And I said, I've never been diagnosed with this. And so I went home and did some research and I am a pretty textbook case of trigeminal neuralgia yet in 10, in almost 10 years, no one has diagnosed me with that. And so I immediately started doing research on treatments for trigeminal neuralgia and discovered microvascular decompression surgery, which a lot of people find relief from. And I found out that they do it at UCLA where I have my second surgery done. So I immediately make an appointment with the neurosurgery department there. I go there with my mom and we're really excited about the surgery and they tell me I'm not a candidate because I have type 2 trigeminal neuralgia, not type 1, and they don't feel like, because there once again- There are two types? Yes. And I also, once again, once in, one in a million case, I have trigeminal neuralgia on both sides of my face and not just one side. And so 
they told me that I'm not a candidate for this surgery. So and we cried. Yeah, we're just like we bawling. Cried. Yeah, we we've been mad, but we did cry. Yeah, just, we were like yeah. just bawling. six months ago. We cried again. Yeah, yeah. just he, happened he felt terrible. He yeah, he, he wanted to help. He it. felt so bad because he was like, I know, you know, you wanted this to happen. Um, and I'm not completely ruling out surgery, just not this surgery. Mm-hmm. And so he referred us to where we went today, the headache clinic. So this has been six months in the making, this appointment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because they were so far booked, far out Plus to be you booked. have to call and call. And, and call is so hard. Um, and so he said, have them take a look at you. If there's nothing else they can do, if there's something they can do for you, great. If there's nothing else that you can, they can do for you, come back and I will try some riskier neurosurgical options. Okay. Um, so that's still something potentially in the future. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she actually referred us today to another department as well. Okay. And so we're just getting referred to a bunch of people. You're gathering again. information. Yeah, we're gathering more information. Yeah. And actually, right now, now I'm also looking into getting someone at the Mayo Clinic to mm. take a look at me as well. So yeah. we will be doctors by the end of the year yeah. if anyone well, needs us. Yeah. Yeah. Just well, call the Dr. Palmers. Yes. It, in college, amazing. they referred me. Everyone, <laughs> I was in a sorority. In my sorority, everyone referred to me as Dr. Jalen. And literally, if someone was like sick or something, they, someone would call me and be like, hey, so this is what's happening. Like, what should we give her? And I'd be like, a couple in acid. She'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. We've had neighbors do that too. Yeah. Got an earache or whatever. What did they give you? They're going to give me amoxicillin. Okay, ask for the Z pack. You want to be <laughs> yeah. better, faster. Because also, uh, um, her dad, my grandpa, is a doctor. And right. so we just grew you up. Learned with, by osmosis. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so it's been 10 years. It's been a long time. And it's been a lot of different doctors. And it's been a long journey. But. That's amazing. And this has also turned into advocacy work for you, too, right? Yes. Like you found a real positive in all of this in yeah. meeting the community. Yeah. So, um, About three or four years ago, I helped plan LA's inaugural autoimmune walk. Mm -hmm. And over that first year, we raised over $80,000 for autoimmune diseases. I spoke at that and I helped plan it along with Haley and Barbara Ram, um, who Haley Ram is actually on Hulu's Light as a Feather. Check it out. Season two just came out. I've actually, that's been on my like watch list for a while. I've got to watch it now. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. You've known them for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, And so that's still going on every year, which is great. Um, And so that was something amazing that I was really proud to be a part of. But right now, I am actually the director of advocacy for Fight Like a Warrior, Mm. um, which is an amazing organization which proves that sick fights back. Mm. And so they originally started out with a small program called Cards for Warriors, where people can request cards for loved ones with chronic illnesses. And they make people with chronic illnesses hand make cards for people with chronic illnesses. That's gorgeous. Yeah, and it's sort of grown into this big nonprofit that now does a lot of advocacy work Mm -hmm. for people with chronic illnesses. And I'm really excited because just about three months ago, we just started the whole advocacy division that we hope will grow into an even bigger advocacy um, like platform platform that will hopefully, uh, you know, grow to be something that'll help 
uh, help even more people. So. Yeah, and it must mean that you're also meeting more and more people who yes. are living with invisible and chronic illness because yeah. of this as well. Yeah, Actually, the only reason I'm able to contact someone at the Mayo Clinic was just because the other day I was on a phone call with other girls who with invisible illnesses because when I called the Mayo Clinic, they said they don't treat uh, CRPS. And then when I was on this call, the girls were like, oh, no, 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 they definitely do. I actually saw someone for CRPS. Yeah. Here's their number and here's the doctor's name. Wow. And so it's incredible what this community can do. I am so thankful for this community. The first three years that I had a chronic illness, for some reason, even though I was a teenager, it didn't dawn on me that there would be a community online. So the first three years, I was just all alone thinking I was the only one who dealt with this. I was the only one who was dealing with this. And I was alone in my room just trying to figure out how to navigate Mm. through this journey. And once I found the online community, it really changed my life. And to this day, I am so grateful Mm. for the online community. That's how I met you. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's how I'm meeting so many people who are coming on the show and who I'm just connecting with in general. And it's amazing how open the community is to exactly like meeting new people it's like no one's like oh don't talk to me everyone's really friendly yeah and, you know like we're all very open to each other and I think that's really amazing and the fact that you're able to then also sort of network with doctors because of it is like yeah you priceless know, yeah absolutely absolutely priceless what about you Natalie how do you feel about all this advocacy work that Jalen's doing uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> okay. Yeah, start me over. It's been amazing. And I've seen her grow from it. And as she does her photo shoots, it's been a lot of fun. She always makes me and her sister, we're professional photographers by now, along with our <laughs> doctoral degree. Yes. But, um, it, it's fun to see her. Sometimes a photo shoot will wear her out the next day, but at the same time, I don't want her to be defined by her illness yeah. either. I don't want her to fall into the community so deeply that she forgets that she was going to be a lawyer and she's, you know, she's going to run the world because, that that worries me, but I, I am proud of what she's doing. I can see how incredibly important it is for people to band together. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also like, there's definitely inroads there that can be made, particularly with regard to like disability rights in the legal space, right? So oh, wow. I'm going to get started you're deep on in that. that. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you're so deep in that with the community that that's already a window that you have into the legal profession. And I can see that definitely turning into something more as well. Right. For a long time, she wanted to be a doctor and help other kids like her. And then as she got into politics, she said, what am I doing that's my calling yeah absolutely well you're a communicator so there you go yeah I mean it's really interesting to me because you know we in this disability community we struggle with identity a lot right like there's always that like do I define myself by this disease does this disease define me um there's always those those give and take conversations happening and also you know there's the parts of the community that are very depressed and not necessarily dealing with what's handed to them from an emotional perspective. And then there are the other parts of the community that are getting up and doing something. Mm-hmm. And it's about sort of like meeting everything in the middle and helping everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really exciting. So um, can you tell us sort of what a typical day looks like for you? Like, is there a typical day in the life of Jalen in terms of like how you're managing your symptoms and taking medications and all of that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you what... 
and I an ideal Jalen day uh, looks okay. like. I mean, there are definitely days where I am just worn out and I don't feel good and all day is just sort of spent in bed. Mm-hmm. And I'll be totally honest about that. But on the days where, you know, I'm doing okay, I'll wake up and, you know, the first thing I do is I'm checking my phone on Instagram because I want to see what everyone is up to. I want to see what's going on in the community today. Um, so the first thing you do is check in with the community. Yeah, definitely. And by first thing, that's maybe 11 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same for me. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it's it, it's hard to go to sleep. I mean, it, it is. And I'm sure a lot of people will relate to that. It's yeah. hard to go to sleep with a chronic illness. That's and... the frustrating thing for me. I'm like, can't you just go to bed earlier so we can get up earlier? I, I don't understand why she can't just adjust that schedule. Mm-hmm. And when I tell her, it's like, okay, mom, if I can only just give you my pain and just say, just go to sleep. Yeah. Just I would gra- gladly take the pain. I know. She would. She would gladly take the pain, but uh, yeah. But I'm just, uh, but I just try to explain to her if you just had all this pain and then just tell you just sleep. Yeah, it's not that simple. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't work that way. And how many medications do you then take to like make all of these things happen without screwing your body up? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Can't you just have a glass of wine? You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Only wine can cure everything. Yeah, that is my mom's. They cured everything. It's often mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm checking in and then I mean eating breakfast and then I'm on my computer. I'm checking in with Fight Like a Warrior, seeing what emails are up to today. Like today we have a story takeover, so you know, I'm checking in to see um if anyone needs anything from uh, from me, you know, any last minute graphics, mm-hmm. checking in with team members. I have uh, five team members, so you know, there's often a lot of coordinating to do there. Um, and then a lot of times what I'll end up doing is I'll end up, you know, getting dressed for, like my mom said, little photo shoots for Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'll either get my mom or my sister to uh, go somewhere around the neighborhood or in my backyard to take a little photo shoot. <laughs> and, you know, then get that all set up and scheduled for whatever day that is. So it's really about then engaging with the community even more and like creating content for other people in the yeah, disability community. Definitely. Yeah. All and, within 100 square feet though that's the mm. thing you know it's not a big life it's all in a small area yeah because yeah. that's all she's up to yeah yeah definitely yeah. very true and so there's then, a limitation there but you're engaging beyond that physical geographical limitation with the isn't wider that great world. Yeah. yeah that that's a great world we live in yeah, yeah. and yeah. i create a thing called master lists which are um uh, which are it's a to-do list but separated by um, categories. And so I'll create those at the start of the week or at the start of the day. So I try to check off as many things in the sections as I can in a day. And then usually by the end of the day, like six, seven, eight, whenever, whenever it is that I'm done, I'm just like, oh, I'm done. And then my sister and I usually will pass out and watch RuPaul's Drag Race on my bed. (laughs) That's not a bad way to end the day. Yeah. (laughs) Now that the Bachelorette's over. Yeah, now that the Bachelorette's over. Can we talk about that? (laughs) Surprise ending. That was a surprise ending, let me say. Now, um, what about like balancing the demands of work and life? Like, is this work that you're able to make a living doing? No. No. So this is volunteer work. Yes. So Fight Like a Warrior is all volunteer work. I honestly have been trying to monetize my Instagram, and that's something I've been working very hard at. Mm. Um, so tell them your name. Oh, yeah. So at Jalen Palmer, yep. J-A-E-L-I-N Palmer. Mm. Um, and if this makes her any more interesting, if you're in your 20s or 30s, she was the cracker on Hannah Montana. 
And for episodes of The Sweet Life, she was Leah the goth girl. Oh, my goodness. Yes. yes. My mom loves to plug yeah. that. And if you want to watch the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours, starring Dennis Quaid on Netflix, she is the, the girl bully in that movie. Oh, my. You were a girl bully? She was I'm always, always a bully. bully. <laughs> always If bully. you're over 5'8", bam. Yeah, you're a bully. You a bully. <laughs> yeah. And yet, the sweetest girl. <laughs> yeah, it's a hype thing. Yeah. Oh, isn't that funny? But yeah, and so I've been applying. So a lot of times at night, too, what I was going to say is me applying for part-time jobs as much as but I like can. Like remote work? or. Um, uh, remote work or in person. I mean, so after I graduated college, what I would love to do is go to DC and work uh, and work and or what I would love to do here is work in a regional office for a congressperson. But the reality of it is I can't work in an office for eight hours a day. I can't realistically expect myself to get up and work all of those hours and not need a rest and that's something that's been very hard to deal with and that's something that's been very hard for my family to deal with because like I have no money and it's something that and you've got rising health costs as well yeah I mean I have no money I have no money coming into my bank account and send her some money guys (laughs) (laughs) and I mean it's something that I'm trying to figure out and it's it's difficult yeah It's, it's incredibly difficult because being a young person and being sick and not being able to just go get a job anywhere. I tried at the beginning of this year. I was a host at a restaurant because I thought a host, right? Not that difficult. You're yeah. just like seeing people. And shorter hours sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up being so labor intensive that I was literally just like shaking at the end of shifts. And they were like, we need you to like clean better and work harder. And I was literally telling them like, I cannot work any harder than I am. And every second I wasn't there, I was asleep, like actually asleep. So I was either asleep or there. So I couldn't do anything else in my life Mm -hmm. because it was so hard. And that's the difficulty, isn't it? As well as that, like a lot of bodies, not just some, but like a huge part of our population that's disabled is not designed to work within the rubric of, you know, general employment, like these nine to five kind of jobs, jobs where you're on your feet a lot, jobs where you don't have access to the comforts that you need, like to manage your pain and fatigue and things like that. So it's really interesting, you know, how many employers could really make those kinds of accommodations if they really thought about it. Well, something so simple as anyone that works with the public is not allowed to carry around a water bottle. So Mm. she didn't have water. Here she is sweating twice as much as the regular worker and her medication makes her thirsty and they would not let her have water available. Oh, that's terrible. You have to have a drink on your breaks. Yeah, wow. Wow. Oh, that's really bad. Yeah, and it was uh, apparently it was like a health violation or whatever that like I couldn't have a water bottle like on the side or anything but I mean I was just dying yeah I've never heard of that that sounds a little ridiculous. restaurants yeah, yeah and, it's amazing mm-hmm. but yeah and so and my other problem is is like even at a desk like I have to lie down at some point during the day and but not all the way just like reclining <laughs> yeah just, so just, <laughs> I would always say when I had the surgery when I was 16 like the elephant man because I remember that the mm. elephant man couldn't lay all the way down and I was like I'm like the elephant man yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you couldn't lie down flat because yeah. you had all of those growth. That movie had come out in yeah. the 80s and my face was all swollen and I couldn't lay down and I was like, I'm the elephant man. It's so funny you bring that up because I was talking to someone only yesterday about the elephant man. So it's like twice. I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so um, this is also, I think, one of the things that we are addressing here is the fact that health advocacy and disability advocacy needs to be paid, right? Like so many of us who work in the advocacy space don't necessarily get paid. And I know it's hard because we work for foundations where they're putting all of the money into research and, and you know, different um, causes and events and stuff to help create more awareness. But it's really interesting that a lot of advocates work on a volunteer basis and perhaps within just the health advocacy space, there needs to be a change too, huh? Yeah, I mean... It's so tough because when you work for them, you know how much the money is needed to do other things. But at the same time, you know how much the employees need the money. Mm. But at the same time, you know if it's paid, you know how few employees would be paid and then how hard those few jobs would be to get. And I don't know. It's all just so difficult. Mm. Everything is. And I mean, getting disability from the government is so difficult. We tried that. We went through the very difficult process to do that. Oh, no, I got denied. denied. (gasps) And so now we're, do we pay a lawyer and go through it again? But she wants to work. She also doesn't want to be on disability, Mm. but yet she has no money. Yeah, it's it's a difficult decision. How important do you think it is that we keep talking about chronic illness and invisible illness in particular? I think invisible illness in particular is incredibly important just because I feel like in these spaces, it becomes so normalized that we think like, oh, yes, it's a thing. Everybody remembers it and knows it. But then if you go out into the world, you forget that in general, it's not known, and people yeah. forget about it so easily mm-hmm. in college and in my sorority and just on campus. It's incredible how many people just don't realize it, how difficult something can be. Even when you're just setting up an event, you know, how many things you're just like, hey, like we should have an accommodation uh, for that. People forget about that. Or just seeing. You know, just like assuming something when they see someone like, can you believe they did that? Well, like, hey, you don't know what they're going through. Her roommate said to her, you're so lucky you have that handicap placard. Oh. And I remember she cried me, just called me just crying because how lucky I am. Yeah. You're lucky you can walk from your parking spot all the way in. You're lucky you can go out and party. You're lucky you can go on dates. Yeah. But it's just little comments that people don't think anything of. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure she didn't mean to hurt you either, but it's that kind of like offhanded comment that can be the most painful. Yeah. Yeah. It just comes without thought. It's just little things that build up into big things. Mm. And it's, you know, like I lived, you know, my roommates lived with me and knew how hard everything was for me and still like uh, sometimes would question why, you know, I would uh, be laying in bed all day or would, like, make fun of me for, like, waking up so late or mm-hmm. things like that. And, you know, it's like, you know how hard it is for me. And it's just it's just so difficult. And I think what I've learned from having my chronic illness more than anything, there's two main things, is number one, I truly have learned to appreciate that you never know what someone else is dealing with everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about Mm -hmm. and i have learned to appreciate that for every single person no matter what anyone says about someone 
I think in the back of my mind, you know, I have no idea what is going on in their life. Mm -hmm. And so I cannot judge them based off of that. Mm -hmm. And number two is that I can handle anything life throws at me because I have been in the very lows of lows Mm -hmm. and I have gone through it. You know, I, I, I just know that, and, and that's something empowering to know too, you know? To be able to know that no matter what I go through in life, I will be able to break through it. Yeah. And it's something that has gotten me through a lot. And it's something that makes me not have fear for the future. Yeah. It's really interesting because I always wonder, like, what our goals are. You know, what what was your goal, Natalie, raising children? Like, was it like, I'm going to raise empowered, strong, you know, strong but vulnerable human beings like and like this it's because of her illness that it's happened you know absolutely I was raised in a very strict religious environment and I feel like that was so oppressive Mm. and I sought out to just do the opposite yeah you're a girl you can do whatever you want you 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 need to get a degree you're your own person Mm. where I was just expected to get married and have kids which I did at a very young age moved to California and was wow there's a whole world here yeah and I I love it here yeah yeah so it's come good in a way because you guys I mean not fully because obviously we're still dealing with symptoms but in an emotional sense it sounds like everyone's come good so that's really important isn't it mm-hmm. and that's also something to to be thankful for too isn't it because it's like those times when you couldn't take your antidepressants and you know when we're seeking mental health support as well to deal with these physical illnesses you know that can be really challenging too yeah mm. so um I wrap up my my interviews with some top three lists um, and I was wondering, and I'll, I'll ask you both, actually, we can, you can each give me your top three, um, what your top three tips for someone who suspects they might be entering this invisible chronic illness world would be, whether it's tips for family and loved ones or tips for patients. Do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> never stop uh, seeking answers. Mm. Number one. Number two, always push for more information. Mm. The doctors are done. They're on a schedule. Mm. But you want to say, what happens now? What do you think I should do next? Mm. My third one would be, um, take it seriously. I guess take your child seriously and don't make them feel like there's anything wrong with them. Mm. That's really That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for the person actually going through it, I would say... Number one, know that I think believe in yourself and know that you can get through it. I think having belief in yourself and knowing that you have the power to navigate this and you have the power to advocate for yourself is more important than anything else. I was lucky as a child when I didn't know that I had my mom to do that for me. And then she taught me how to do that for myself. And that has made all the difference in my life. Mm. Um, Number two would be, I think, to know your limits Mm. and know when it's time to stop and know, be able to tell other people or like have someone to like have all always have someone there you can tell 
you know, to like, hey, like this is my time to stop. Yeah. Because buddy system. Yeah. <laughs> because like when we're out and stuff, uh, sometimes there are times where I'm just like, this is enough. Or like even this weekend, we were thinking about going on a lake trip, and like I know I'm not going to go unless my sister's there, mm-hmm. because it, then if everyone's out, me and my sister can be like, oh, we're going to go back to the house, and we can drive her car, and like I can go back and rest. So she's then becomes your advocate within the family. Yeah. 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 We literally went to the emergency room on our way to Cabo before we got on an airplane because she was in so much pain and it inconvenienced the rest of the group of course they're in vacation mode they want to have fun but you know we're in an uber on the way to the emergency room you've got to be there and it sounds like your family really does show up it's not just your mom it's your siblings everyone shows up yeah yeah and yeah i mean my family's amazing yeah you're very lucky yeah and i think number three is self-care and I know people say that a lot it's a buzzword yeah it's a buzzword that people say self-care but I think that means a lot more than just like oh like journaling and bubble baths and I mean like I I journal I do and for me it's a way just to like write things it's almost like a therapist you know Mm -hmm. like you write things and you work things through and you cry and everything Mm -hmm. but for me that means like when I'm in a lot of pain that day like I have to tell people like Mm -hmm. no you know what I can't hang out like no matter how embarrassing it is or whatever and I just lay in my bed in a ball with like a heated blanket and I watch Netflix all day sometimes self-care looks like boundaries yeah like knowing your limitations and then knowing how best to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Self-care is just, it is just you know, doing what's best for you no matter yeah. what. Yeah. That's really great. Now, what about, I mean, obviously you've had to like change the way you live your life or like maybe this is just the way you live your life because you've got this, stuck with this so young, right? Like you yeah. sort of like fell into it. Are there like lifestyle changes that you've had to make that, make that you ever cheat on or like comfort activities, like you say, when you get into bed with your heating pad or like guilty pleasures or secret indulgences like a top three that you could give us i was thinking about this one i think i mean i there are certain ways that i think my mom would like me to uh, live that i don't do like my mom would love me to like exercise and eat a certain way that i do indulge her pirate booty obsession (laughs) yeah pirate's booty is fantastic yeah Yeah. pirate's booty actually though legit helps my digestive system because i have like my mom's laughing about that (laughs) it does what does nutella do okay Nutella doesn't help anything, but I love it. Nutella produces joy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So obviously Nutella and Pirate's Booty are like my snack things that I love, um, that I'm just obsessed with. (laughs) I dip uh, green apples in Nutella. Oh, that's yummy. Apples, apples really do help with, I know it's gross to say, but you know, constipation comes from opioids. We all just got to be honest about it. Okay. Apples actually do help with that. And you That's know what? The, know. the Nutella makes it more tolerable. Hey, okay. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, if you can't down any more stool softener or, you know, um, laxatives or whatever, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll eat three apples in a day, you know, and it just, it's a natural fiber. So. And it naturally cleans your teeth. So there's a double yeah double benefit so you do what you can (laughs) but yeah and then I love heated blankets because unlike 
like heating pads they're long and you can wrap them around areas so for me for my face like I can wrap it around my face Mm. certain areas and you can wrap it around your stomach so I mean heated blankets are the bomb my mom loves them and our dogs love them of course (laughs) they do (laughs) yeah so that's the other thing if you have it wrapped around yourself your dog will want to cuddle with you so cuddles can't deny the the joy of the cuddle yeah so who doesn't love an animal snuggling with you um and I mean, I think any TV show that you want to watch, I mean, my sister and I watch, like, the dumbest TV shows together. Like, some people might think they're ridiculous, but, I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, no, that's a a groundbreaking show. Yeah, I mean. And it's fantastic. Oh, it's art. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, okay, I will say I watch dumb shows on my own, but my sister and I watch some pretty classic TV shows. We watch Will and Grace. We watch RuPaul's Drag Race. We watch. Um, so you're supporting Love LGBTQIA. Island. Oh yeah, my sister that's is a proud gay, ad- a proud gay woman who wonderful. is a huge advocate in that community. So we watch a lot of gay, uh, gay like yeah. So yeah. we do actually with her. That's great. On my so own, there's two advocates in the family. Oh yeah, including mom. Yeah, <laughs> it gets better. Yeah. yeah, my sister worked for the It Gets Better project for that's a long amazing. time. Yeah, so wow. yeah, but yeah, so I mean, and on my own, I watch the dumbest TV shows. So, <laughs> but you just like to indulge and yeah. Give Permission. No, I mean, I think I'm one of those people who have watched too much of Netflix and Hulu's programs just because I spend so much time in bed. Sometimes I'm just watching it just because I need something to watch while I'm sitting there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, Natalie, do you have any like top three self-care or, or like yeah, comfort mom. activity tips for caregivers? For caregivers. Because like it's, hard, it's think, a lot of work. I think that sometimes I have to remind myself that she's not me. That I'm a separate person. Because your kids feel like a part of you. Yeah. And when she's suffering, I'm suffering. And then I have to think to myself, I still have to spend time with my um, my. Boyfriend, Yeah, significant other. I was trying to think of a, a better word than boyfriend. It sounds <laughs> silly when you're 50 years old. Yeah, but, um, no, you're not. I just turned 50. You look fantastic. Oh, wow. It's all, it's all the sun and wrinkles over the years. <laughs> not at all. No, you look wonderful. I would not have guessed that you were in the five O's. Oh, thanks. So there you go. So, yeah, just connecting yourself from it emotionally. Mm-hmm. There's days where she's in her room, and I think I should just go spend some time in there. But I think... I have to take a breath and and live my life. Mm. Maybe that. Um, um, like, always keep going. Ask doctors lots of questions. Yeah. Um, always keep thinking that there is help around the corner. Because that information. Self-care for oh, you. self-care. Yeah, but that's also important. Yeah. Oh, self-care. that information is not just for patients, for Jalen. It's also for the caregivers. Yeah, just taking time for myself. I try to exercise. I try to stay on top of, of my looks. I think it's important that... When you go into doctors, also, your kid might be looking like something the cat dragged in, and you don't want to look like that, too. Mm-hmm. I think that, it, it, bright or not, the world perceives you by how you look, and mm-hmm. at least as a parent, you want to you want to be a presentable, and hey, look, you know, yeah. we're a family that's taking care of business here, yeah. and my child deserves this respect. That's yeah. actually very true, however, like, weird or, that, uh, weird or like, wrong that may seem. A lot of times the person who is pain looks like a strung out druggie because you haven't showered, you're sweating, you're like shaking from pain. I think the parent or the person who's with them needs to look like put together and like a doing business. Yeah, like a nice put together, like a put in business. My mom always like has makeup on, her hair is done, like it's in nice clothes because then like it shows that like oh she's just sick and someone's there yeah. taking care of her. And it shows the stark contrast. And I would yeah. say overall, doctors believe her. We have never had a doctor say you're a pain seeker. 
they will give her that extra shot of fentanyl or whatever if I insist. Mm. Only once in my life at an ER have I been marked as a drug seeker. Okay. And which is that's actually pretty good odds given the opioid crisis and the yeah. sort of backlash oh, against wow. it. It's frustrating. Most of that is due to my mom, and most of that, and then the other half, I will say, it's because I am. I'm a young white girl, and I'm very lucky. So you recognize your privilege, yeah, privilege there. Yeah, but I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm i very, very lucky to look how I look when I go in there because and speak how I speak yeah. because I know when I go in there and with the education I have and how I look that doctors believe me. And the other thing I'm lucky for is get everything documented early because my mom has taken me in every single time has gotten everything documented has gone to every doctor that when they pull up my history it doesn't just say like oh she's been in for pain meds they see a history of like oh my gosh she's seen every neurologist that goes back years and years and years they're like okay we believe you here let me do it that's wonderful yeah yeah well, what a wonderful team. I can't thank you both enough for coming on the show today. Is there anything else you want to share with our guests before we get to lunch? <laughs> I would just say uh, if you have a caregiver, always appreciate them. Always remember to say thank you to them. I probably don't say it enough, but I try to remember to thank my mom for everything she's done for me because I appreciate it so much. I could not have gone through my life without her. I probably wouldn't be alive without her. And so just thank you so much, Mom, for everything you have done for me. And I love you so, so much. You're welcome. And you are great expressing that. You are. Oh, and we've got, we've got it now in audio to prove it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and uh, tell us again, tell guests again where they can find you, Jalen. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Jalen Palmer. And all my other links are through there. And it's J-A-E-L-A-N. Correct. Awesome. Well, Jalen, Natalie, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to hearing more about how your journey continues. And hopefully you find some more solutions. Yes. Keep them coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com. All over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.